Welcome everyone to this morning Sunday's class. Does anyone have any questions or clarifications from last class, previous classes? Okay, great. So we're on chapter 15, we're continuing with chapter 15, the state of self-realization. State of self-realization, something beyond our understanding. But nevertheless, we're on the spiritual path, taking in this knowledge. We need to know where this knowledge leads to. And it leads to the state of self-realization. Now, many great Mahatmas who've reached that state has written, passed on this information, this knowledge to say what this state is like, how a person is that reaches that state. And they've explained that. This is why we can follow those footsteps, why we have this knowledge because of these great Mahatmas. So, you know, we're very fortunate that we have this available to us. Beyond the three states of consciousness, they're saying, lies the fourth state, the state of self-realization. The state where we become one with our true self. The Atman, Brahman, God. That is our true personality. That is who we really are. So we're discussing the state, the state of self-realization. Just as a dreamer cannot understand what the waking state can be like, we as a waker cannot understand what this fourth state is like. It's very difficult for us. We get some ideas. Ideas in a relative sense, what we identify with. So exploring that state, what it may be like. This state where if you, if one reaches, you have fulfilled your role as a human being. That is the goal of a human being. And if you reach that state, you fulfill that role. So who is regarded as a self-realized person. Who is regarded as a self-realized person? Any ideas? Who is regarded as a self-realized person? What have they done? Damash? Connected to the self. Connected to the self. How? What is the process? Removed all desires. Removed all his desires. Is vastness. Person who no longer identifies with their physical personality, their body, their mind, their intellect. 
one who has removed his vastness, his desires, has gone beyond the three states of consciousness of the waking, dream, and deep sleep states. The person who has realized the Supreme Self is Atman, his true personality. Self-realized be person becomes one with the pure consciousness. This is the fourth state. And we discussed the personality traits of a person who has realized the self. This is what this chapter is talking about. Any ideas? What is his trait? This is a recap, by the way, last few classes. Any idea? What is his traits? Remember we discussed knowledge, power, love. Yeah, anyone? What are his traits? A person who's self-realized. Yeah, Vanita? Someone that doesn't, um, basically loves everybody, uh, doesn't distinguish different people, animals, everything. That is... Yeah. Loves all beings. Loves all beings. What else? Why does he all love all beings? Why does he love all beings? Because he knows that each and every personal being is attached to um, one's yourself. Each and every one is the self. That spark, that electricity, that enlivening factor is in all beings, no matter what. Good, bad, animals, everything. All beings have that same spark. Now you've identified with that spark, the Atman, then you identify with everyone in the same way. What else? Self-realized person, what other trait does he have? Yeah, Shashi. They are unaffected um, by everything. Unaffected by everything. Why is it, why are they unaffected by everything? Any ideas? Um, because they know that it, uh, whatever is happening is just temporary, basically, and that you know life will go on and yeah, um, affect them in that way. Anybody else? Why are they unaffected? You're right, Shashi. Is it because they've let go of their ego? They've let, yeah, absolutely. No ego. Thank you, Jyoti. That's what I was looking for. He has no ego. Therefore, he's unaffected by anything. The ego is the body, the mind, and intellect. If he's not attached to any of that, he's not affected. No ego. And he understands everything is Brahman. No boundary of his love. What about his knowledge? His knowledge. What about his knowledge? Yeah, Nilam? He knows all there is to know. Which is what? Um, what well, is I there don't to know. <laughs> but 
it all comes from within as opposed to looking outwards. He knows the difference between what is real and unreal. Right now, you know the difference between real and unreal. Last night you had a dream, you've woken up, you knew the dream now is unreal, isn't it? Anyone think their dream was real last night? Now that you're awake, no. So you know that the dream was unreal. So you know the difference between real and unreal. Similarly, a self-realized person has woken up from this waking world. So now he knows what's real and unreal between the two states. This world is unreal to him. So he knows that any knowledge of the world is also unreal. He knows the what knowledge is real and unreal. And he functions in the world accordingly. Is that clear to everyone? Yeah. Okay. Self-sufficiency. Self-realized person not dependent on anything in the world. Totally independent. Nothing can affect his state of peace and happiness. Due to ignorance, we lack this knowledge. Hence, we identify with the changing aspects of our body, mind, intellect. So we get affected. If we identify with the changeless, which is the self, I'm not this body, mind, intellect, I'm the self, then nothing affects you. It's up to you what you decide to identify with. See, only the body, mind, intellect is dependent on the world. The self isn't. So it's your choice. Does that make sense? His fulfillment. Once a person identifies with the self, he reaches that state of self-realization, he's completely fulfilled. No happiness in the world can compare or increase his happiness. Nor can any sorrow reduce it. Totally objective. We say in Sanskrit, he is puripurna, meaning completely fulfilled. See, we find it difficult to identify with this state, to understand what is being said. It's difficult to describe in words. But we have some idea. You know, this chapter sort of explains to us what this state is, which gives us a bit of confidence to think, well, you know what? They're explaining this state in detail. Somebody must have experienced it. And it gives you confidence. It's not the unknown. Does that make sense, Carol? There's some facts to it. And that would give you the confidence to think, let me go for it. Let me try it. All these great sages can't be wrong. They're all saying the same thing. Any questions before we begin the next topic? Okay. So the next topic is his extrinsic conduct, meaning how does he behave externally 
also it covers why do different say if you read the lives of different sages who reached that stage why are they all different why do they all de behave differently why do all these great mahatmas yeah behave differently because happiness for them is different for everyone and the expression is going to be different okay so what they're saying, what this topic talks about is Dharmesh, you reached that state. Yeah? Vijayabhai, you reached that state. Thereafter, both your activities are different. Even though you reached that state, you both behave differently. Externally. Why is that? If you've all both reached that state, why is there differences? Why do people behave differently? You read, you read about different Mahatmas who reach that stage. They all behave differently. So this topic dis discusses why, to give you some understanding. Okay, it'll be self-evident once we cover it. It's extrinsic conduct. Okay, um, Ravi. Is, is extrinsic conduct. Self-realized souls have demonstrated a wide range of extrinsic conduct. Their post-realization lives have been distinct and different. Yet they all remained intrinsically as the one self. Like the brilliant spectrum of colors emerging from a colorless light, each color exhibits a beauty of its own. So does every enlightened enlightened one display a distinct magnificence, beautiful and graceful. Their actions, however, differ widely. Though they all spring from the depth of spiritual enlightenment, from the one divine self, thus you find a marked difference in the external manifestation of divine souls from time immoral. Even the recent sages like Swami Ramatrita, Saint Jagiraja or Ramana Maharaji were poles apart in the manifestations. Ramana Maharishi observed silence practically all his lifetime. He hardly moved out of his small town of Tiruvani Malai in South India while Saint Jagiraja gave out the divine karnic music. He sang all through his life. Distinct from these two, Swami Ramatrita was dynamic. He enthralled the world with his electrifying discourses on Vedanta. What this paragraph is saying, that a self-realized soul will act differently in life before self-realization and even after being self-realized, even after that experience, they will still behave differently. Even though they've all reached that same experience, their actions are all different while they're acting in the world after that experience. It gives an example. There's so many different colors come from one pure light. Similarly, all self-realized souls express different behaviors. And there's some examples given. Swami Ramatita was dynamic. That's Swami Ramatita, by the way. 
Yeah. This, all Swamiji's books originate from Swami Ramakita's teachings. He was dynamic. He went around the world educating people by giving lectures based on Vedantic knowledge. Before being self-realized, he was a math teacher. Died at 31, by the way. America, he gave many lectures in America, in Japan, Asia. At 31, he died. 33, beg your pardon. 33, he passed away. So after self-realization, he, uh, he went around teaching, dynamic teacher. Ramana Maharishi stayed only in one town, maintained silence, did not speak at all. There would be people gathering around him, and he wouldn't say a word. But just in his presence, they felt something. This is Ramana Maharishi. That's for your information. Funny enough, the book says talks with Ramana Maharishi. He never talked. <laughs> so that's Ramana Maharishi. You can Google these great sages, yeah? So that's Ramana Maharishi. Saint Tyagaraja, I don't have a book by him, um, gave out Carnatic music. Carnatic music talks about God, the self, through music. So each one expresses the knowledge differently. Yeah. Great. Next paragraph, Louis. You ought not to judge sages and saints from what you see them act. Their expressions in the world may confuse you, and you would perhaps gather wrong impressions. Perfection in a human is assessed not from his external action, but from internal attunement with the Supreme Self. The test of perfection in his merger with the inner self, not his expression. Whatever be the mode of living, the self-realized leads humanity through the path of righteousness to the goal of enlightenment. Some sages have lived in seclusion, observing austerity, while others lived in company amidst material comfort. However, both were totally detached, disinterested in their mode of living, reveling in the bliss of realization. Their lives only promoted universal welfare, redeemed humanity. This thing we cannot judge if one is spiritual from his external behavior. Because self-realization, spiritual perfection, is something that happens internally. It's an internal experience. We can't see inside a person. We're not qualified even to see inside a person. The way he, she may, the way he or she behaves might seem like he's crazy to you. You can't identify with him or her. They may not have the same values as us. External behavior does not resemble what's happening inside. Remember that. They may be living in riches, driving an expensive car, 
or maybe staying in seclusion, not interested in anything. But however a realized soul behaves and lives, he expresses his own way and knowledge of the self. He tries to help, encourage humanity to lead a life of righteousness in their own way and helps individuals reach enlightenment. See, um, Krishna's life, how it was. Christ's life, how was it? Both very different. But they both taught the same message. They both gave the same message. So we're not able to judge externally. Just because he wears an orange robe, has a long beard, doesn't make him a spirit, doesn't make him a self-realized person. He may still be attached to everything in the world, may have strong desires. It's best not to judge. It's best not to judge at all. Any questions? This is what it's saying. So there is no formula of how a self-realized person behaves. But one thing is clear, that they will be passing this message about the self in one way or the other. Are we able to receive it? That's a different matter altogether. Yeah. Any clarifications? Great. Ravi? The enlightened one lives in his home with his family amidst his environment with perfect objectivity. Established in the divinity within, he remains absolutely detached. He takes the position of God. He is in the world, yet out of it, like a lotus leaf unattached to the water all around. He looks at every being and everything happening in the world from an impersonal angle. As you would watch a movie on the screen, when you look upon the world as a detached witness, the world becomes a source of enjoyment. But when you get involved, entangled in the affairs of the world, the same world becomes a source of misery. The enlightened is every positioned as a silent witness, saksi witness, never attached to anything, never immersed in the world. He stands out as a picture of renunciation, reveling in absolute bliss. So this is how a person outlook to the world is. This is what we need to aspire to. This is what we have to put in the effort. Enlightened person lives at home with his family. There's complete objectivity established in the divinity within, he's one with the self, therefore he's completely detached. He is God. He is not interested in what's happening in the world. Lotus leaf, an unattached to the water around. Lotus leaf is in water, but any water falls on it, it just goes away. It just falls, it's because it's a waxy surface, it's like a layer. It's not affected by the water, even though it's in the water. He's a sakshi, a witness, 
how you watch a movie on screen. Whatever is happening on the screen, it doesn't affect you. You see, you know it's a movie. Someone's chasing someone in an alleyway. You look at a movie, wow, what acting, you say. That person is so scary. Once the movie's finished, it's over. You may watch a comedy afterwards. You're not affected. Similarly, a person's not affected in the world by whatever's going on. Completely detached. We're all affected because we're not detached. We're still involved. Everything affects us. We haven't become a sakshi, a witness yet. Picture renunciation. Reveling in absolute bliss. Nothing affects him. Where's that state and where are we? This is what we need to work towards. Everyone, everything affects us. Less so now. That now you're getting a little bit of this knowledge, you're less affected. I hope. Magna, I hope. Great. Any questions? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to explain this in the simplest manner possible because it's so difficult to understand um, this of a, of a person of this state. So we're trying to understand it in the simplest way possible. Okay, Ravi. The ignoramuses do not look into people's intrinsic nature. They are carried away by external demonstrations. They make a great blunder in considering sado spiritual persons as evolved souls. Some of these charlatans perform all sorts of fantastic feats. They are known as spiritualists who read a book blindfolded, repeat another's thoughts, communicate with departed souls, demonstrate such sensational acts. All that does not render them holy, spiritual. They are just as worldly as others, except for having learned a special art. It may be admired as a skill, technique. There is nothing more to it. A spiritualist can claim no more divinity, knowledge of the self, than a brilliant technician can. I think due to our ignorance, people are unable to see what a person's nature is like. So they see how a person behaves externally and they're mesmerized by a person's ability to perform amazing deeds, like reading a book blindfolded or reading a person's thought, reciting the whole Gita. There's, there's a person who can do that. They wrongly regard this person as being spiritual. See, external acts do not make a personal spiritual. They do not make a person divine. They're just the skill one has learnt. They may have no knowledge of the self. Saying they, they are just as worldly, full of desires like anyone else. So don't be fooled. Don't be caught up. Someone does a little bit of magic. 
a watch appears or jewelry appears in their hand or something, you think, wow, that doesn't mean he's spiritual. This is what they're saying. So beware. It's all external. It's what's going on internal that's important. So don't be fooled. Does it make sense? Some Hatha yogis are known to have buried themselves alive in a coffin. Others have swallowed razor blades, drawn needles through the skin, performed many such feats. But these men are far from being spiritual and their feats have nothing to do with the divine state brought about by the knowledge of self. There have been many, there have been instances of such men having committed crimes even convicted by the state. However, history has shown some true sages possessing this art, the skill of performing great feats. They learned it only to draw people to educate them in the knowledge of Brahman, the Supreme God. However, the knowledge of this art is no way related to their spiritual status. Thing, once again, is just saying that all these external acts people do doesn't mean they're spiritual. But in the past, some sages learned a certain art to draw people in so they can educate them on the knowledge of the self. It's just to draw people in. They may do something, you know, that we can't understand. But that also, that act has nothing to do with spirituality. Once you're drawn in, then they will impart the knowledge of the self. Skill has nothing to do with what's going on inside, how much knowledge of the self they have, how much have they identified with the self. It's not relevant. Is that okay? Yeah. So don't be fooled. You know, in a way we can just say, you know, we don't know how a, any spiritual person, we cannot judge. This is the bottom line. We cannot judge if they're spiritual or not. And even if you remember that, it's a positive thing. Because you at least you won't be drawn into something that's not real. They're saying there's more fake gurus in the world, there's the stars in the sky. Can you imagine that? There's more fake gurus in the world, there's, there are stars in the sky. Meaning they don't have knowledge of the self but they are still spiritual. They give this. What's that? Talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. That's what sales contributed. I think that makes it easy to understand. Thank you. They talk the talk, but they, they don't walk the walk. <laughs> I think that makes it quite clear. <laughs> So, stay away from them. Any questions? Okay, next paragraph. Self-realization is acclaimed as attainable in one's lifetime. And self-realized souls are those who have merged with the supreme unifying self. If that be so, 
How is it they do not conduct themselves uniformly? Why is there so much difference in the lives of the self-realized? This has baffled many thinkers. It is only the great Swami Ramadita who has given the most lucid, perfectly convincing explanation of this phenomenon. The Swami described the life of the self-realized sage with the help of the following law of physics. Now, what it's all saying is that we may ask question why a self-realized soul behaves so differently. We already covered this from another realized soul, even though they have all reached this state. They've all, they've all had the same experience in their life. Why do they all behave differently? This is what, what we're going to talk about now. Now, Swami Ramatita, as we said, is a maths teacher, and he explains it in the terms of physics with weights and pulleys, but we're not going to cover that. The next three paragraphs we're not going to cover because it's better you read it yourself and try to understand it. You, know, you need some knowledge of maths and physics, and we're not going to cover that. I wouldn't do it justice anyway in the class. But there is another example further on, which we're going to take up. So, Migna, um, could you read 10th paragraph? Now apply this law. Now apply this law to the life of a self-realized person. An individual is born in the world with a portion of the aggregate of his vasanas, unmanifest desires. The aggregate vasanas are known as sanchita. A portion of the sanchita, which needs immediate manifestation, forces itself out to be born as a human being. That bulk of vasanas as an individual is born with, is termed Prarabdha Vasnas. The Prarabdha is the original acquired Vasnas which get exhausted only upon the death of an individual. But the individual can within his lifetime exhaust the entire Sanjita with which he, when he attains self-realization. Thereafter, there is no individual propulsion for his life's activities. This is a paragraph which I need to really try and explain to you in simple terms. This explains how you are born right now, why you are born right now. It also explains the cycle of life and death. So we are born because of what? What propels a life? Unspent desires, vastness, vastness, unmanifested vastness. Yeah, does everyone agree? We are born because of unmanifested vastness. We're born with vastness. Vastness becomes thoughts, becomes desires, becomes action. No vasanas, no, no thoughts, no desires, no action. You do not exist without vasanas. But what propels your life? So, what this paragraph is saying is that there is a total amount of vasanas. 
which is called Sanchita Vasnas. We can say A, Vasnas A. Prarabdha Vasnas is a portion of that Vasnas that you're born with in this lifetime. We can say Vasnas B. Right now, in this lifetime, you have been born with a small portion of your total Vasnas, which is now called Prarabdha Vasnas. When you die, when your Vasnas are exhausted in this lifetime, you'll be reborn again with another amount of Vasnas from the Sanchita Vasnas, that group of Vasnas that is being held for your next life. This is how life and death works. This is how life and death functions. So, right now we're all born with Pradapta Vasnas, meaning a small portion of our total Vasnas, which, are, which you are exhausting in this lifetime. How do you exhaust them? Either by experiencing it, or by reducing them through knowledge. When these vasanas are finished, you die. Does that make sense? Please question, clarify. I can go over it 10 times, not a problem, until you understand. This is vital that you understand this because this gives you the answer to life and death. Yeah, Dharmesh. So I'm just going to put in some a language I understand. If I have, let's yeah. say, 100% of my vasanas, I only get born with 10% of it to use. I get rid of the 10% and then I come back again. After 90%, I take another 10%. Correct? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So in this lifetime, you're born with 10% of your vasanas, for example, which you either exhaust or you reduce with knowledge. When they're finished, you die. Will that make sense? Whatever those vasanas are. One minute, Kevil. When you die, you're reborn with the next percentage of vasanas. Kevil. Um, I don't know. I think maybe my understanding is wrong, but I understand it slightly differently. So I agree with the fact that, yes, you are born with X amount of your vasanas out of your total lot. But during our time here on Earth, we exhaust those vasanas or we reduce them. But we also, based on our actions, can create more, right? And the idea is we shouldn't be creating more while we're here as well. That's another section to it. Absolutely. You're right, Kel. You also add vasanas as well, which will be add, adding to this lifetime or to your of a pool, so it could be never-ending. That's why you have to actively reduce them. Mm -hmm. And all spiritual knowledge tells you to reduce them. And then another question I have is, so if we are born, let's say we have like, I don't know, we had a total of 100% and I've had, I don't know how many previous births. Uh, so I've now down to like, I don't know, the last 40% for argument's sake. Um, how do I know, so in this life, if I, if I don't realize self-realization, does that mean I still have Vasna, so I'm going to come back? Or if I do achieve self-realization, does that mean that I've now exhausted everything in my pot and, you know, I'm, I don't know, won the game, finished? 
One step ahead, Carol. Next paragraph will answer that question. Ah, okay. <laughs> Any other questions? So just for now, remember, you have a pool of vasanas waiting for you. Yeah. When you finish the vasanas in this lifetime as Dharmesh Patel, you'll be reborn again as whoever, wherever, with the next load of vasanas. And this is the cycle of birth and death. That's why we are born. We're driven by our vasanas. Is everyone clear on that? Dipa? Make sense? It's hard to get your head around it. But it'll come. Yeah, Dipa. Sorry, I just wanted to uh, clarify a bit more. So if you've created new vasanas in this lifetime, but unable to exhaust it, would, would you carry those back? Yep. So no. it's only the vastness that you are able to exhaust in this. What you're born with, you need to exhaust. Mm. Remember that. Mm. Oh, okay. Anything, yeah, whatever you're born with, that 10% you have to exhaust. You know, people are uh, live to the 100. Vasanas. Some people die. Swami Ramatita died at 33. His Vasanas were finished. Yeah. So whatever your Vasanas you're born with, you will die. You, you have to exhaust or reduce. Or, or sorry, um, exhaust or um, eliminate through knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, Arunamin. So in this cycle of life and death, um, does it pick up in your next lifetime? And does is there an awareness that <clears throat> also where you should be picking up from? Uh, can you repeat that again, the question? So in the cycle of life and death, um, so you've, you've, if you've got about 70% still left and you, you're born in the next lifetime with 70% or, or portion of it, maybe say 10% to be used up, does that life or the Atman is aware of where you were at the previous life, that point? No. Gosh. Has no idea. You don't know. Well, then that's quite a difficult uh, way to reduce your vasanas then, isn't it? It's making the journey of life and death, this whole uh, activity that we're trying to do, reduce the vasana and be born. So why is it making it more difficult? It isn't. It's not difficult. It's the knowledge is there for you how to do it. It's difficult for us to but follow. Is that atma aware? Is that knowledge? Does that go with you in your next life? Whatever knowledge you get, only thing that goes with you in your next lifetime is knowledge of the self. Okay. Yeah. Knowledge of the self and cause and effect goes with you in your next lifetime. So there is some kind of um help you're not starting from scratch is what i'm trying to say depends you could be increasing your vasanas depends what efforts you're putting in to reduce them exhaust them you may be extroverted and adding you, you came with a thousand vasanas and you added another ten thousand hmm. you know but we're very fortunate we have spiritual knowledge to understand this and do something about it. The yeah, next paragraph will explain. Ravi, thank you. You have a question. 
you just answered it, I was just going to say it's it's because we're being enlightened at the moment and having the knowledge. So we won't be increasing as many vasanas as we would have done without the knowledge as such. So we hope so. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> we hope so. You can go the other way, but yeah. Uh, I mean, it is quite mind boggling, as you said, if you only, you've got your 10%, if I'm right in saying, the 10% you're coming with is the strongest desires you had that were unfulfilled. And what's propelling you, even if you're making desires now, um, but it's the strong, real sort of, you know, as I say, Maya would propel you further. It doesn't. The, the pool of vasanas that you have waiting for you, the strongest vasanas from there will manifest in your next lifetime. You don't know what they are. It's based on this life, your cause and effect in this lifetime. Yeah, so Sittal has a qualification. So at the beginning, you said, am I right in understanding we're born with our Sanchita Vasanas? No, born with Parabda Vasanas. We're born with our only Parabda so no Sanchita Vasanas. Yeah. Oh. Sanchita Vasanas is the pool of Vasanas that are there. You're born with a small percentage, which is called Prarabdha. Yeah, if you read that, it tells you that. So, so for example, in this lifetime, if I, because you're saying that it's Vasanas, thoughts, desires, action, right? So right now I'm putting in the action to gain this knowledge, mm -hmm. which is then enhancing my thought on the self. Mm -hmm. And I have a desire to learn more. Mm -hmm. And I have a strong vasana now to learn more and become more, I suppose, develop spiritually more. So that vasana, I'm hoping, is going to be strong enough to propel my next life to encourage me to become even more spiritual. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Does, every, does everyone understand that? Yeah. So this is how it works. What are your thoughts? Where are your thoughts? Your thoughts are on the self. Then you're reducing your vastness, your desires. Your thought is on the world. You're increasing your vastness, your desires. Where are your thoughts? So these prarabdha vasanas is the small portion you're born with in this lifetime. What you need to exhaust in this lifetime through experience or through reducing them through knowledge. After that, you're born again with another portion of vasanas from that sanchita vasana, that group of vasanas we said A in the next lifetime. This is the theory of reincarnation, birth and death. And you'll continue to go through the cycle of birth and death. This is the theory. That's why it's called theory of reincarnation. Nobody's come back to tell us exactly. But they've done it, they've analyzed it scientifically. These great sages have analyzed it scientifically and they've come up with this theory. It's the best theory we have. Any questions?
So, why does a self-realization realized person act differently after that experience? Any idea? Yeah, we're not in. I'm going to try and answer Sorry. it. I think because in this life cycle, they were born Frozen. with a certain, they are still so some vastness that maybe, um, no, actually, I don't think, I can see why it leads to like, you have exhausted your vastness in this life cycle, but why would they still behave? That was one of the questions I had written down. Um, why do they behave so differently from each other? I'm not sure. Okay. We're going we're gonna to discuss that now. Sorry. So you're born with your, so remember this, Parapta Vasnas is what you're born with for immediate manifestation in this lifetime, which can only be eradicated by reducing them or exhausting them. You can't change them. Remember that. They only finish when you go through the death of this life. Each person's Prabhupada are different. So when a person attains self-realization, he still has Prabhupada that needs to be exhausted. They don't change. Does that make sense? But what happens at self-realization? We're gonna find out. Realization equalizes the disparity of demand and supply. The individual makes his demands. The world makes the supplies to meet the demands. The imbalance created by the inequality between his demand and supply lasts until self-realization. The unfulfilled desires cause the motion of life. When the Sanchita, the aggregate of all unmanifest desires, is exhausted, there is no more motion generated, no further acceleration. But the original acquired velocity remains. That is the state of the self-realized. He lives on because of his original acquired Bharadavasana's desires. Like a car moving at 100 kilometers an hour runs out of fuel. It has no more acceleration as the fuel is exhausted. But its motion continues because of the already acquired velocity. So too do the self-realized function differently because of the different Bharadavasanas they are born with. If the original Bharadavasana was little, feeble, then his manifestation upon realization would be the same. Perhaps like Ramana Maharshi, if the Parabda was of music, then he would perhaps turn out to be Saint Diagaraja. And if made up of erudition and scholarship, he would emerge as Swami Ramadevda. So, when you reach that state of self-realization, all your Sanchita Vasnas are eliminated. 
Hence, the cycle of birth and death is broken. You are not, you do not come back again because all your Sanjita Vasanas are eradicated. That is what happens at self-realization, the experience of self-realization. But your Parabdha Vasanas, the ones you're born with, they still continue. Example is given. You're moving in a car in a motorway 100 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour, I'm sorry. In this country, 70 miles an hour. Suddenly you run out of fuel, what happens? What happens if you stop, if, if you run out of fuel going at 70 miles? Yeah, Megna? You'll just keep rolling. You'll keep rolling. Car won't suddenly stop. You'll carry on for some distance, maybe another 500 meters or so. Similarly, when a person reaches self-realization, there are no more Sanchita Vasnas. Those are gone. But some of the Vasnas he was born with still remains pushing the person to act. That extra 500 meters, those Vasnas are still there. Hence, a saint made sing. Ramana Maharishi was silent. Ramatita continued teaching. But instead of teaching maths, he's teaching knowledge of the self. Ramana Maharishi decided to be silent. Saint Tyaga Raja still sang, but he was singing about the self. But his actions are still remaining. So no more Sanchita Vasnas. Once these Parabdha Vasnas exhausted, through the experience of death, no more Sanchita Vasnas, no more cycle of births and deaths. This is the theory. One minute, Rush. So that's why they say at self-realization, you break the cycle of birth and death. Sorry, I just want to confirm. So if you're self-realized, you're not going to go on again. Is that correct? Yeah. Not for this lifetime. So there is no rebirth. Absolutely. Because there's no more vastness. But he, but you said that if you're born with 10%, like I said before, and you use up that 10%. You will never be self-realized. Is that what you're saying? No, not at all. You're born with 10%. But, okay, one other thing I should mention here, which we've not covered. One question you've not asked me. You're born with certain vasanas. Yeah. You have to exhaust those vasanas. How can you attain self-realization if you weren't even born with for vasanas for self-realization? We all have something called self-effort. We as a human being has the freedom to put in self-effort if we want to, to explore, to go beyond what we are already born with. 
So you have that self-effort to eliminate your desires, your vastness, which is what you're doing here now. That self-effort is independent from your vastness. This is what makes you a human being. Megna. I wanted to ask if you had to have vastness for this knowledge and to study this knowledge for you to be able to attain that. And that might not specifically come in the different births that you have. Is that correct? I don't understand, Megan. I can repeat your question. So you have your, so to enable to have this knowledge or be able to experience this knowledge that obviously that's involved that your vasanas are involved with that wanting to study this and wanting to pursue it so obviously when you have the sort of cloud of vasanas and you take each lifetime the vasana to become self-realized or to want to study this must come in that lifetime also for you to continue with it absolutely your vasanas are there but do they manifest or not that's a different story you see and that's the problem you are the self, that is your true personality. That vasna will always be there to reach that state. But do you follow it? Do you put in the effort to do so? That's up to you. You won't get this in one go. You have to think about it. I don't know. So I think just, just uh, going on from before and a little bit of what Jamaica was saying as well. So in each lifetime, I'm hoping that there will be, so say if you put the self-effort in this lifetime as much as you can and as much as you're able to, but how in my next lifetime will, will they know or will I know that there has been that self-effort put in the, next, in the previous lifetime? Or do I start again? And so what I'm saying is that surely there should be a kind of a recognition that uh, you're moving on, uh, like a help, a support to move on with this journey so, that we want to exhaust all our parts now. So, as we said earlier, um, what you take from this lifetime is not your name, fame, wealth and power. What you do take is the knowledge of your true personality, the knowledge of yourself that you carry to your next lifetime. A person is born with such sattvic qualities so spiritual, they can take on, uh, they understand spiritual knowledge at age of 12, 14, 13, 14. how is that possible? They've carried that knowledge from their previous lifetime. Lord Buddha was born a prince. Hmm? Lord Buddha was born a prince. Lord Buddha was born a prince. So that knowledge has come from it somewhere. Hmm. So we will be carrying on in a way there is hope that there will be that will be happening. There is another way. Break that cycle in this lifetime. Don't we wait till the next try. lifetime. <laughs> Don't wait till the next lifetime, Megna. So is it right to say that if you, you go through your different births, um, life, and, life and death cycle, sorry, and as you grow spiritually, you sort of stop and restart where you left off basically at your next life so that's one point following what um Arunanti said and then the second is that if you do then in that lifetime retain 
um, achieve, sorry, spiritual enlightenment somehow with the knowledge that you've obtained, then does it essentially just scratch out everything that's left? Even if there's that cloud of like the bigger percentage, does, does that just eliminate? You see, you got to, one thing, all those vasanas that you've got in the pool, yeah, are for the world, are in the world, in the waking state. You've gone past that waking state. What use are they to you now? You have desires in your dream. When you wake up, do you still, are you still interested in those desires in the dream? What use are they to you? They're all gone. Similarly, you've now reached that fourth state. What, what use are your desires in the world? That's why they all go. None of them need manifesting anymore. So everyone's experience of self-realization is different. So you look at stories of great Mahatma sages who have reached that state, they're all different. So we cannot judge or recognize them. Or we can't judge their qualities because we don't have those qualities. We have not had that same experience. How can we judge? All your sanchita, total vasanas finish when you reach self-realization. The Paradha Vasanas, the ones you're born with, finish when you die. You are spiritual to the extent you identify with the self within. Nothing else. If you identify by 10%, then you're that much spiritual. That's it. That's the marker of your spirituality. How much do you identify with, your, with the self? Nothing else. So this birth as a human being is not to make money for gaining name, for gaining fame, for gaining power, for creating attachments. All this is a waste of life. We are privileged to be born as a human being. Let's not waste it on these petty things. This is what this message of the great sages are. Sorry, this might just be a bit of repetition. I just wanted to double check that I'm understanding this correctly. Um, so what we're saying is that in this lifetime, I'm born with my set of vasanas, and I've still got, I don't know, X amount of sachita vasanas that's waiting for me. But in this lifetime, if I'm able to attain self-realization, so overcome that, Basically, my Sachita Vastas that's waiting for me in my next life could just disappear. I don't actually have to come back to exhaust them. Absolutely. Well, okay. I didn't know that. That's good to know. And you know, they got no excuse. No, <laughs> no exactly. Because it's difficult. No, because it's difficult, right? Because all this time I'm under the impression that I have to keep coming back until I exhaust them. And only once all those are exhausted would I then be able to self attain self realization. Um, You've learned a shortcut in this class. So just sort of following on from that again, that the your 
cycle of life birth on into the world is for you to understand until you understand that the world and everything in it doesn't exist it's just there for you to learn basically that that's not the case and once you realize that it that's irrelevant Just as the dream is irrelevant when you wake up. So think about it. It's not something you'll catch in one class. If it is, then I put my hands up to you. You have to think about it. And then can you believe how your life will be if you understand this? If you understand this topic, can you imagine how your life can turn out? How you will behave? You will not behave normally. I was just going to say that sounds so hopeful that when you, if you think that you don't have to, if you do use up your 10%, you don't have to think, okay, I've still got that 90% because that hangs over you like a burden. Whereas if you really try put a lot of self-effort in, in every lifetime, I think that sounds very hopeful, actually. It's hopeful. We all have hope. All based on our self-effort. Any other questions? Think about it. If you have any questions, we'll make a note of them. We'll take them up next Sunday before class. You know, I mean, this topic is uh, very deep and, uh, it, you know, we've just touched upon it, if I'm honest with you. There's a lot more depth to it. We've just touched upon it. Just the surface. Yeah, Ravi. A question from Shamila. <laughs> Do we come back as humans on each life or do we materialize as other beings? Depends on your cause and effect in this lifetime. If you behave like an animal in this lifetime, then the chances are you'll come back as an animal. Why? You know why? Because those vasanas are such. You've created animal vasanas, tendencies. Yeah. So therefore you've created those vasanas in this lifetime. Then automatically next, next life then they're going to go with you. You're killing people, you're eating animals. What kind of vasana are you going to take? There's an effect to that cause. So yes, the chances of devolving from a human being are very rare, apparently, so they say. But it's possible. So you know, they, the, the saying is, be careful what you think about. Be careful where your thoughts are. Vastness manifests as thoughts. If you have static thoughts, spiritual thoughts, you know what kind of vastness you're going to create. You have negative thoughts, bad thoughts. Those are the kind of vastness that's going to create. So where are your thoughts? Be aware of it. Okay, I think uh, everyone's got their hand on their head. We might <laughs> we let everyone think about it. Can I add a thought? Yeah, Saul has one last words of wisdom. Just for what Arunavin said about um, it helps us to feel better about, you know, knowing that actually there's a positive aspect to this but you know another positive aspect is is that our scriptures and knowledge has taught us that if we put in the right 
action, then the cause will take care of itself. And there's the, the faith that we have, not just in, let's say, God, if, if you're not in God, but even the knowledge is put in the right action and the cause will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. And actually, don't, con- don't think about where you're going to end up. Just concentrate on your action. That's all you have to do. Don't worry about the results. You, you put the right action in, the right results will happen. Don't worry about the sentita vasanas. So concentrate on the actions in this lifetime. Your thoughts and actions. They will take care of itself. Keep attaining spiritual knowledge. Keep studying. Keep generating wisdom from this knowledge. That will then change your life become more subtle, more spiritual, and that's in itself will take you to the end goal. This is what the sages are saying. Kevin. So I have one last quick question. Um, so at the time of death, does that mean that our fasteners that we were born with have now been exhausted? And if you are self-realized, then you don't take birth, right? So there's no as soon as at that instantaneous time that your vasanas are exhausted, that's when you cease to exist as a as a human, or as a, in this in this format that you can't in. You cease to exist. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Okay. Great. If there's no more questions. We will take up next Sunday. Impact of world on him his impact on the world. All very interesting topics. Have a great Sunday, everyone.